Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and if you were trying to pin 2023 and make it, um, you know, find a recurring theme for this year, what would it be? Would it be this is the year that things finally got back to normal? You know, where you can go to the grocery store without wearing a mask and you don't have to uh, sit outside to eat and you don't have to, uh, you know, you, you, people are back in school again. Earlier this week, we took a look at public education and there's been a mass exodus here in the People's Republic of California from students in public schools. They've lost uh, anywhere from 5 to 8% of the overall enrollment. And when you consider there used to be 6.2 million students in public schools, then that, boy, I'll tell you, that will, that'll really get someone's attention when you consider that every student has around 20,000 federal tax dollars attached to their being in school. You know, for the, you got to pay the bills, right? The schools have to pay teachers and custodians and, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't have money. But when you see graduation rates of 87% and proficiency rates in the 30s and 40s, there's a huge disconnect, and you can see why people are kind of messing around, you know, moving from place to place. And one of the things that we did see during the pandemic that I think was a good thing was that, you know, Toto came up and pulled the curtain back and showed us who the wizard was when it comes to public education. And this, again, I know many people, people in my church, people in my family are public school educators. And this is in no way any means of disparaging them. But it does, you know, when you take a look at what happened, what was going on three years ago, remember in June of 2020, we were, are we back in, are we back out? I was coming across some uh, social media posts of me at my former uh, church, uh, my role in pastoral ministry there for Pentecost, which happened a couple of weeks ago, and saying, hey, we're going to be in person and online and come on down and isn't great, we can be back together again. And then a couple of weeks later, no, no, wait a minute, 4th of July. And well, you know, and, and there was so much speculation that most people, let's say, be real. If there were something really horrible that was happening or that were happening, then we would do everything we could to protect the most vulnerable people. The CDC and the NIH, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the National Institutes of Health knew that what they created in Wuhan, in the lab there, was dangerous. They knew that it got out and it spread faster and further than they had planned originally, and they didn't have enough time to come up with a cure. This was clearly one of those cases. I, I, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody in the medical community or in the political community, but it kind of sounds like it. Reading the emails that the Freedom of Information Act has been showing us and why Judicial Watch has been silenced on a lot of feeds, I don't understand. But it, it almost sounds like the way they were treating Wuhan was like, remember the old door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman? knock on the door, is the lady of the house at home? Because, of course, mom was at home while dad was at work, right? And they'd come in, try to sell her a vacuum cleaner. And what did he do? He'd pull out a packet that had some dirt in it, and he'd spill it on the floor. Oh, no, there's dirt on the carpet. What are we going to do? You remember what happens next? Plugs in the vacuum cleaner and says, look how quick and easy it is to clean up any mess. And you'll never have that much dirt on your carpet. And the woman would say, wow, this is fantastic. I, I need to have this. Okay, that's kind of a cliche, but I mean, that's a lot of what happened in the door-to-door sales world back in the 60s. 
Well, today, basically what we're finding out is that the Wuhan virus was created in a lab in Wuhan, China, the Wuhan province. And the FDA and the CDC and the NIH were basically going to let it out in small intervals, but then make sure that they could get enough of the people contained so they could create a vaccine for it. So then they could say, hey, when this vaccine shows up, boom, there you go. Have you noticed, by the way, that this year they're already making the big push, not only for flu shots, it's June, okay? Flu shot season is typically in the fall. And RSV pneumonia. Why is there such an upturn in RSV pneumonia? And I say that as somebody who had pneumonia last year. Pneumonia with a side order of COVID. That's my excuse. And I don't know that I had long COVID per se. I was not vaccinated against it because quite frankly, nobody was. Everybody who got the jab, I think it's pretty safe to say now, wound up just getting COVID shot into your body in hopes that if you did catch COVID, you'd have enough COVID in there already to keep it out. But now we're dealing with the aftermath of all the shutdowns and all the lockdowns, the businesses that didn't come back, the students that aren't going back to public school, private schools, charter schools, online schools are thriving. And now you've got an issue that happened with the restaurants in the world. Remember all the restaurants that started pushing outside for dining? The restrictions didn't limit them. I remember being at, was it Ontario Mills? Lisa and I were there. This is early in the pandemic. We went up for dinner one night and we went to a restaurant. I don't remember which one it was, but I do remember that they pushed a lot of the seating to outdoors. And so we were sitting outside as cars were driving by, fumes were everywhere, people without masks were walking around. And here we were sitting in an area where they said, if you're not putting food actually into your mouth, you need to wear a mask. Well, the sidewalk dining actually turned out to be quite the boon for a lot of businesses that were in position to capitalize on it. For example, there is a narrow stretch of coastline closest to the water in San Diego. And the California Coastal Commission has looked at the restaurants that were there in that stretch who during the pandemic got a bit of a breather. They could push their dining out into the uh, boardwalk, sidewalk area because, well, public safety. Well, when you're down at the beach and there's no traffic driving by other than a few skateboarders and people on bikes and you've got nothing but sand and shore and ocean sunset i mean it's gorgeous who wouldn't want to eat outside at a place like that well there's only one problem and that is if you own a building or run a building you have to provide enough parking for the number of people who are dining at your establishment i'll i, I don't know the actual uh rendering here but if it you know if i were to venture a guess would say it look, would go something like this there are 100 seats in your restaurant. You must therefore have 60 parking spaces in your parking lot. I used to work for a company one time that uh, that was in a situation like that. The company had taken over. It was an area in an older part of Orange County that was licensed. It was zoned for commercial residential. They were old homes, basically, but they were close to a business sector. So you could actually run a business out of somebody's old home law firm, medical office, whatever it is. You've seen those before, right? They're kind of cool. Well, we were running a business in a place that had been a home and the people who owned the home had a pool. When they sold the home, 
the company that took over was a chiropractic office. They kept the pool. So then the chiropractic office decided to move. Uh, we were a radio broadcasting company with a pool. <laughs> the reason there was a pool was because they went to the city and they asked the city, hey, we would like to get rid of the pool and put in maybe a little more building or a little more parking, whatever it was. Well, the way the parking situation was configured, even if you filled in the pool, you could not add more parking spaces. And they said, if you have more usable square footage, whether you put a building on there or not, you have to add one more parking space. So there would be the expense of filling up the pool, you know, ripping out all the plumbing and everything like that, passing code, packing in all the dirt, paving over it, and then you didn't have any way because of the way the parking was situated to add any more spaces, but you needed to add one more parking space. So to my knowledge, I worked for that company 11 years and every summer we went swimming because there was a, there was a pool. Well, the restaurants in San Diego now have an issue. They have decided to keep a lot of their parking area as outdoor dining. But now they have to replace all the parking spaces. If they decided to go street side dining and there were parking spaces there, they need to find another way to do the parking on the street side dining. So we will see what happens. I mean, of course, then again, San Diego may be running into a bit of a problem anyway with the fact that uh, the housing prices are so high right now that there is not a lot of new business coming into San Diego for the second consecutive months. People who've been waiting for the prices to come down, it ain't happening. Median home price in April, $805,000. It's 1.8% lower than it was a year ago, but that's not the drastic price hit people have been talking about. As a matter of fact, it actually ticked up in the month of April. So uh, people are staying put. They're enjoying their home values and home equity. And, you know, quite frankly, maybe they are eating out a little more. Maybe they're not. Maybe they don't want the inconvenience of punching in new parking spaces. Maybe that's something you could only get away with with the new guys in town. It's anyone's guess. Anyway, we'll put these articles up at thebottomlineshow.com so you can have a look at it. It is true we are definitely living in an upside-down world, but how do we live spirit-led in a world that has gone so absolutely crazy. On the other side of this break, Stephen Strang is going to join me. He's the founder and publisher of Charisma Magazine. And he's going to have a conversation with us about a brand new book that he's written that helps us address the issue of what it means to be Christians in a world that literally has lost its mind, a world that is topsy-turvy and upside down, and how we can still be led by the Spirit in the middle of all that. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest, 
while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, a special guest joining me today here on the Bottom Line Show from the convention floor at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando this year. I'm doing my convention remotely, but Stephen E. Strang is there in the thick of things to talk about a brand new resource that he has written uh, that is going to provide a lot of guidance and leadership for people who have been looking around at the culture and saying, what in the world is happening in America? The brand new book is called Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Stephen Strang, welcome back to The Bottom Line show well thank you very much and you should be here we're having a lot of fun somebody there's a lot of chatter around and people are saying this is one of the best nrbs in a long time oh i'm glad i'm so glad nrb since probably 1980 that's probably before you were born but yeah um, (laughs) you're very kind you can't you can for our my help now crowd you can obviously see the gray in my beard he's having some fun at my expense but no, i'm grateful very uh for the fact that uh uh, this has been a good one for you Uh, steve is the uh founder and ceo of charisma media he was voted by time magazine as one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in america he's interviewed presidents he's been featured on fox news cnn and msnbc among others and my own personal favorite dr James Dobson's Family Talk, this brand new uh, book of yours is the kind of book that I think, uh, is it safe to say that there are more and more people who are waking up to the reality that the times we're living in, Stephen Strang, are perilous? You're absolutely right. And, you know, there's a lot of ways we could talk about this. In one way, we can say times have always been upside down. Mm -hmm. You know, look at the early church in the Roman Empire with paganism. Um, I mean, pagan pagan temples in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus and his disciples would have walked through every time they walked down to Jerusalem. And uh, the world's always been upside down, but it seems like there's something worse now. It Somehow it seems to be crescendoing, especially for those of us who have enjoyed religious freedom and kind of a dominant Christian, uh, Judeo, traditional uh, worldview, it's being taken away from us. You know, the Bible talks about woe to those who call uh, evil good and good evil, and we're yes. seeing that. And so I wrote it because I, I feel that people are confused. They're, uh, you know, it's like, what, Lord, have you forgotten us? Are you asleep? Mm-hmm. And um, in the book, I actually mentioned that a friend of mine told me about a motivational speaker a secular guy who wrote a book called the 10 time rule. And his whole idea was to be successful. He had to work 10 times harder, have 10 times more passion. And he said that too many people live mediocre lives. And when I read that and thought about it, and the guy said a lot of good stuff, you know, you can, (laughs) he wasn't a Christian, but uh, he was a good rah, rah book. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I thought, Boy, does that apply to Christians? How many Christians live mediocre spiritual lives, lacking power, just kind of going along to getting along, being right. confused, having all kinds of things in their own lives that they really need to get over, you know, doubt and unbelief, unforgiveness, things that the Apostle Paul calls strongholds. I go into all that kind of stuff. 
So there's nothing in my book that's not been written by other people, but it hasn't been written in this way. I'm a magazine journalist by training and background, probably best known over the years for Charisma Magazine. Yes. And my chapters are almost like magazine articles. Hmm, yeah. Chapters, self-contained about the gifts or the fruits, or I have a whole section on trials. You know, none of us can escape trials. None of us. We have friends and family who die at some point, problems in marriage or in the job. I mean, what I'm saying is just common sense. Mm -hmm. But God can get us through. Sometimes trials have a purpose because the trying of our faith is what works patience, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. But I also write about deliverance, uh, deliverance over the demonic, and we're seeing more and more. In fact, a lot of the mess that we're seeing in our country in my opinion, is nothing more than just demonic uh, onslaught. It almost explains no question. why it's so fast and why it's so intense. Mm. Jonathan Kahn, who's thankfully one of our authors, his latest book, which came out last fall, is Return of the Gods. And he says, as the West and America reject its Christian foundations, and remember that the early church got rid of all those ancient pagan gods, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by the yes. time Christianity became the state religion in Rome, um, the worship of Zeus and all that kind of stuff, Moloch and Baal, all that was gone. He said that the early church exercised those evil spirits and that as the West has gotten away from it, they have come back. And the Bible says they come back seven times worse. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, I deal with that a little bit in the book because I believe that deliverance from evil spirits is one of the things that the Holy Spirit helps us, helps empower us to do. I'm a big believer in that. I'm just trying to remind people of what the, what should be normative Christian life. We should be walking in faith. We should be getting uh, words of wisdom and discerning evil spirits. We, yes. should, yeah. we should be seeing miracles and healings. Too often, we don't. Like I said, people live lives of quiet desperation. And I hope that my book, I just happen to have a copy here. Yes, there it is. Encourages people to seek. I hope it makes them hungry in the way, same way that somebody might read a motivational book to, rem to remind them that if they set goals and if they have dreams and if they work hard, uh, that they can maybe achieve them. How much, if that's true in the natural realm, how much more true is it in the spiritual realm? Yes, amen. If, if being 10 times more passionate can help a secular motivational speaker encourage people to live better lives, how much more should those of us who believe in this power, the spirit of God, encourage believers to stand strong? Now, I hope that, if someone who's not a believer in Jesus picks up the book that I, I don't use just church talk, that it's understandable and maybe it'll spark something. But I really wrote this for people who want a deeper walk, who are concerned about the upside down world and who will allow me as a Christian journalist who's been really, I started off as a secular journalist, but most of my career I've been a Christian journalist writing and motivating people 
covering what God is doing, writing about. In fact, a lot of the examples I use in the book are things that we've pulled either from Charisma magazine or from the different books that we've done over the years. Excellent. So that's why I wrote the book. Mm. Stephen Strang is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and this is a powerful work. It's an outstanding resource that I can't recommend enough. The book is called Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we continue, I want to ask Stephen about uh, a chapter in this book in particular that I think is, is going to be helpful for a lot of people because it's it's kind of like we want to have God speaking to us, but then we're not quite sure what to do when God starts speaking through us. And I want to talk to Stephen about that, give him a chance to kind of air that out for us and help us understand why the two kind of work together. We'll talk about that and coming up next as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own. And by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash c-o-v-e-r today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, Stephen Strang is my guest today here on the program, and we're talking about his brand new book called Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. The book just came out, and people are loving this because they understand that we're living in some very, very challenging times right now, and the challenging times aren't going to go away. But the fact that people are able to see the Holy Spirit at work means that if you are living in perilous times like we are right now, you will, in fact, experience joy and peace and confidence in spite of the circumstances all around you. Stephen E. Strang's book, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy or two of this book to give away. Do we not? I'm looking at our prize list here. Tamara's got it. That's right. We do have a copy of the book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book is called Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World by Stephen E. Strang, the founder of Charisma Media and Charisma Magazine. And uh, this is the guy, if you remember, who wrote the book God and Donald Trump about five years ago. And we had a conversation at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention about uh, Donald Trump. And, and quite frankly, it was really, I think it was a fair conversation to have because there were many people at that point, we were a couple years into the Trump presidency, who were asking questions like, is this guy really of God? And, you know, here's the thing. When you are living spirit-led in an upside-down world, you could see the rather King Cyrus qualities that Donald Trump had as to how God was using him. And I still, you know, when I see what's happening in the political landscape right now, with Mike Pence throwing his hat in the ring, along with Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, of course, 
I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm encouraged by any of these people uh, running for office, and I hope that more will show up. Remember in 2016, there were, what, 18, 19, 20 people who threw their hat in the ring to run for president. But the key, I honestly believe this, the key to this is not going to be who can win the culture wars. It's not going to be who can get the Dodgers to reverse their decision that they made so horribly with regard to LGBTQ Pride Night or whatever. There are going to be weeds in the garden. There's no question about it. And I realize it does upset our sensibilities. When we look at the world right now and we see it basically like Stephen says in the title of this book, when we see that it's an upside down world, there's a part of us that has a righteous indignation. And I understand that. Absolutely. I think we all should. God created the world, the heavens and the earth for his glory, for his benefit. He created mankind for his fellowship. The Godhead said, let us make man in our image. Everything else is made in somebody else's. I was reading somebody waxing eloquently about how this is LGBTQ Pride Month and in the same way that the chrysalis becomes a butterfly uh, and they don't really have any choice in the matter. They just do what they do, that that's how people in the LGBTQ community are constantly evolving to find out who they are. I thought, no, no, we're not insects. He made us a little lower than the angels, quite frankly. So that argument doesn't really hold water. But I understand completely why people get so upset when you see something like a Pride Night and you say, wait, baseball, apple pie, hot dogs. I mean, it's a biblical game. It's a whatever. And there's a part of me that says, okay, my biggest concern for the church more than anything else is that we don't get lost in the weeds, but that we actually keep going into all the world and preaching the gospel. So does that mean you boycott a professional sports team? I don't necessarily think it does. If you don't want to spend money with the team, you don't have to. But if you feel led to put on a God so love the world shirt and wear it to Dodger Stadium on Friday, June 16th or whatever, then do that by all means. Let your light so shine before others that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So spirit-led living in an upside-down world is part and parcel of who we are. It's an occupational hazard, no question about it, but also it's something we're called to do. And I'm glad Stephen Strang has written a book about this very issue. Uh, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of it to give away to you today. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I encourage you to give Crystal a call. If for some reason the book has already been given away by the time you call, remember we have copies of Dr. David Jeremiah's devotional book for the month of June, um, and we've got 10 of those to give away for free. We still have Charles Stanley memorial calendars for the late great uh, theologian and Bible teacher who went home to be with the Lord at the age of 90 not too long ago. Uh, Lots of resources for you to have because the ministry of the gospel must continue until the Lord's return. So we are here to preach that gospel any and every way we can. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. My conversation with Stephen Strang continues on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues.
Stephen Strang is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. If you if that name sounds familiar, you may know him as the best-selling author of the book, God and Donald Trump. We uh, uh, had him on the program for that in 2018 when that first came out. He's the founder and CEO of Charisma Media. And of course, Charisma Magazine is quoted often here on The Bottom Line Show. The brand new book is called Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Stephen is gracious enough to join us from the convention floor at uh, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando. Before the break, Stephen, I was talking about one of the chapters in the book that I, it, this seems like kind of where a lot of people in the in the American church, if not the Western church, are right now. We want God to speak to us. We don't know what to do when God speaks through us. Talk about how in this upside-down world we're living in, if the Holy Spirit is leading us, that's going to be part and parcel of our relationship with the Lord, isn't it? That's right. And the prophet Joel said that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh and the sons and daughters would prophesy. And, you know, sadly, for a whole variety of reasons, that kind of fell into disuse really for centuries. Now, there were historians show that it did happen some. And so fast forward to our own day, people have had to explain why we have not seen these gifts of the spirit the charismatic gifts, because the word charismatic actually means gifts in, in Greek. And they had to explain it. And they explained it. Oh, these things died out at uh, mm. the apostles. Mm -hmm. There's not one word, not one, in the New Testament that says that will happen. The mm. closest thing you can even hint, it says, um, we prophesy in part, and then that which is perfect has come. You know, they'll say, if there are tongues, they shall pass away. It's making a different point. I've actually heard people use that. But in that very same scripture, and I'm not quoting exactly, forgive me, it's not in front of me. But it says, that which is perfect comes, then that which is in part shall pass away. Mm. I'm, I'm not really making that point other than say, in my opinion, that's the only place in the Bible that even hints at it. So... There have been different revival meetings that I believe were moves of the spirit. I even believe that the Reformation was mm -hmm. really a move of the spirit. I can see the that. The Holy Spirit is alive all the time. The Holy Spirit did not go away, but the gifts um, went away. People basically did not speak in tongues. They didn't believe for miracles. They didn't think healing. They didn't really pray for healing in the way that we do now. Then something happened in the early part of the last century that we now call the Pentecostal revival, where the Holy Spirit was outpoured. The Holy Spirit was outpoured in other ways. John Wesley uh, talked about how he was strangely warmed. He believed in the second work of grace. I'm really getting into too much history. There is some history in the book to uh, help the reader understand. I will tell you that my editor en encouraged me to put some of the history <laughs> in the notes, because as you can see, it's easy for me to get into stories about history. That's not the point here. I believe that it's normative Christianity to walk with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what helps us commune with God. Amen. It helps us to hear God's voice. You know, people, other religions believe in prayer. Mm -hmm. A lot of prayers are ritual. They're repeated. They're made. Uh, be a place for that uh, you know the prayer that we call the lord's prayer is one we repeat of course but prayer is so much more and it's more than just making a list of things you want god to do and then saying amen at the end 
and going about your business for the day. Yeah, yeah. Got to learn how to hear from God. The Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and show us truth and help us walk in faith. We do this through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of them is prophesying. Now there's the gift of prophecy, but all of us in the same way that we can pray in the spirit, we can believe for miracles, all of us can prophesy. My friend, Mike Bickle of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City is somebody I quote in the book. And he says that he believes that all Christians can speak a word to someone. Like, for example, you got a friend that's going through a tragedy or trying to make a decision and you mm -hmm. pray with them and you counsel with them and the Lord can give you words to speak to them that may not, in, may not be a prophecy about who's going to win the next election or who's going to win the Super Bowl or something dramatic like that. But I believe that that's the gift of prophecy. Sometimes we don't even really understand it. Now, when I talk about the gifts in the book, I tried not to make it like a textbook. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I didn't want it to be a theological type of thing. I used real examples and I used examples of where I've experienced prophecy in my own life. I have had, I, I had a man, a, a man with a, a well-known prophetic gift call me out of a group. There must've been 2000 people there. He had me stand. And he gave me a prophetic word and he said that God had shown him that since the time I was 14, that I was God's maverick. Mm. That was exactly right. But he, he said he could see me looking through a window through Venetian blinds at a lake. Well, when I was 14, I lived on Venetian Avenue in Lakeland, Florida. Oh, my. Now that got my attention <laughs> but more important than that i tell the story about jonathan khan and the book the harbinger mm -hmm. jonathan yeah. was seeking god for the direction to take this book he'd never written a book before he wrote it before talking to publishers he was being encouraged in some ways and he was by counselors that in hindsight didn't know what they were talking about and he decided to really seek the lord and he said lord speak to me he was actually doing it. He was having to travel. It was the middle of the night. His planes had been delayed. And he wanted to take the time, waiting for the weather to clear, to seek the Lord. A friend of mine, a not a preacher, a friend of mine who's actually a CPA, has an incredible gift of prophecy where the Lord shows him things. And he will often pray and say, Lord, is there someone you want me to speak to today? Mm -hmm. He felt that the Lord said, yes, I want you to speak to this man dressed all in black with a big bushy beard that looks everything like a Jewish rabbi. Mm -hmm. He was sitting nearby, and the, my friend, whose name is Hubie, said, no, 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 Lord, he, he, he must be an Orthodox Jew. Right. <laughs> so, I'm just not up to it today. And the Lord, Not him, yeah. The Lord impressed on him to speak to him. So he said to Jonathan Khan, he said, what's the good word? That's how he opened hmm. the conversation. So Jonathan looks over to him, assumes he's a secular businessman and says to him, Jesus loves you. Hmm. And in a split second, they knew that they were believers. And as oh. they talked, my friend Hubie said, 
the Lord has given you a message for the nations and you're in the valley of decision trying to decide which way to go. And two incredible things happened at that moment. Number one, Jonathan Khan was literally praying, Lord, what I should I do? Wow. The second thing is that the opening scene and the harbinger was the prophet that is a character in the book. The book is fiction, but it's fiction in the same way that C.S. Lewis in Screwtape mm -hmm. Letters. Right. You know, there was no a demon named Wormwood, um, but he used the fiction to tell spiritual truth. And Jonathan Kahn did this in The Harbinger. And in the opening scene, there was a prophet who spoke to a stranger as they were along the Hudson River in New York City. And there, you know, park benches where you can sit. And I guess, you know, it's very scenic. Mm -hmm. And in that setting, they spoke to each other in a very similar way. And Jonathan Kahn was blown away by the similarities between this. Long story short, my friend Hubie, he'd never done this before, but he said to Jonathan, he said, I know Steve Strang. Would you mind if I mentioned the book to him? And Jonathan said, if you feel you should do that, do it. So he emailed <laughs> says he's, he's, he met this man on an airplane. Actually, I don't remember. They, they were in the waiting room. And then later they sat together on the airplane and continued the conversation. He said, he's got a book that's going to shape the nations. Are you interested? And I wrote back and said, you're not telling me very much. But if you're interested in it, I'm interested and I'd love to talk to him. And the next and one thing led to another. Wow. And Harbinger has sold over two million copies. Hmm. That was a prophetic word. It was a mm -hmm. word that actually literally changed my life. I mean, every publisher would love a book. But, you know, it's more than just a book selling. It is a book that is shaped. I mean, Jonathan Kahn has spoken. Uh, at the United Nations, the Lord has opened up all kinds of doors to national leaders and so forth. And there are many, many things that have happened as a result of that book, The Harbinger. There are other stories that I tell because Hubie, my friend, was the accountant for an NFL player named David Tyree. Oh, yeah. And he said the catch. That, yeah. <laughs> he said God is going to do something spectacular in the Super Bowl. And I have another appointment shortly. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, it's going to open up a, um, it's going to give you a platform. And it was the catch. Yes. And I had heard beforehand through a mutual friend that the Lord had um, had given a prophetic word. I watched the Super Bowl wondering what would happen. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I hope that this, pe this encourages people that God does speak today. Yes. I'm excuse myself to go to my next interview no go right ahead Next, eloquent <laughs> but you can tell that i'm excited and yes. i hope people will check this out it's available wherever christian books are sold probably easiest to get it on amazon and i just really really appreciate you being able to share my heart with your listeners and your viewers today stephen strang the author of spirit-led living in an upside down world thanks so much for being with us today here on the bottom line Thank you, and God bless you. Great to catch up with Stephen Strang, the founder of Charisma Media and author of the brand-new book called Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. And it was wonderful to uh, connect with Steve 
at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando recently, and you can see the video of our conversation on our video channel at uh, myhopenow.com. That's myhopenow.com. Um, the book, uh, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book to give away. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have one copy of this outstanding book to give away, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we have some good news to share with you, kind of get a little uh, precursor to Good News Friday, which is coming up, of course, tomorrow. And this is something I think that is important, especially as we are gearing up toward Father's Day this Sunday, June the 18th. And it's an issue that uh, every dad in America has an opinion on, even if you don't hear them sharing it. And that is the question of how do we keep sports a safe place for kids to participate in? I'm not talking about the drag queen sports nights and stuff like that. I'm talking about uh, boys and girls being able to compete in safe spaces where they, in some cases they can compete against each other and in co-educational intramural things. In other cases, it's been pretty well established for years and years that men and women's body compositions are different. And as a result, the best way and the most fair way to have friendly and healthy and fair, uh, just athletic competition is to have men's divisions and women's divisions. It doesn't necessarily mean the men are better than the women or the women are better than the men. It just means if you're trying to have a fair fight, this is the best way to have a fair fight. So many states have been pushing so hard over the years to try to make it uh, kind of blur the lines, if you will, with regard to what is quote-unquote fair in women's sports, especially as it pertains to the number of transgender athletes we see wanting to compete. Now, what's interesting about this typically, and you see this happen uh, more often than not, is on the high school level and on the collegiate level, you find that there are more men who transition to become women and compete than the other way around. Uh, there have been a couple. As a matter of fact, there was one uh, co competition I remember uh, reading about the young man from the University of Pennsylvania, uh, his name is William Thomas. He calls himself Leah. He grew out his hair. I believe he's taken some testosterone, or excuse me, estrogen treatments. But the women who compete, like Riley Gaines and others who compete um, in women's swimming and have competed against William Thomas, know that William Thomas has long hair. Uh, he's taken estrogen to give him his body more of a feminine appearance, but he still has male genitalia and for all intents and purposes is a man with long hair. Now, when William Thomas was swimming for the University of Pennsylvania, it was pretty well documented that he came in dead last out of 83 swimmers in his event. And then when he became a woman, made that transition and started competing against other women, he started breaking records and winning medals left and right. So a lot of this has been happening in the track and field world and the swimming world and the weightlifting world where there are more and more women are saying, hey, wait a minute. I was the third fastest woman in this sprinting race, but because this dude showed up and said his name was Jennifer or whatever, he ran faster than me. I don't get a chance to compete now against the other women in the women's 200 meter dash or whatever. And that using a track and field example. And that's not fair. So more and more states have seen challenges to these, uh, you know, laws. And, and of course, when President Biden took over, 
he really lit the world on fire by saying, we are going to make a rule change in Title IX. Title IX was an anti-discrimination measure, remember back from 1972, I believe, that gave girls and women equal opportunity in collegiate athletics and high school athletics and you know level playing field as far as academics as well. By changing the definition of women to include transgender people, men who act as women, it opened the floodgates for all sorts of guys to kind of jump across the aisle and compete as women. And more and more states are trying to take measures to actually keep that from happening. And one state in the Deep South, Governor Kay Ivey is added again. Uh, she signed into law House Bill 261. And that's a bill that basically uh, our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom have been rallying around. And basically it's designed to protect women's sports on the collegiate level as well as the high school. So what does the bill entail? What are the haters saying about this? And uh, how can we be praying for and rejoicing with those involved in this? Our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom helped make this happen. We'll talk about their version of the story coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for the one copy of Steve Strang's book that we're giving away, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Got a nice note from our colleague, Christina Kiefer, who is Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom. She's a member of the Alliance's Center for Conscience Initiative, uh, she joined ADF about a uh, decade ago, and prior to that, she her specialty is working to protect women and girls' sports and has defended the bodily privacy rights of students. So she issued a statement recently regarding the May 30th signing of House Bill 261 in Alabama. This is a bill that is designed to do something. Alabama already has some very strong laws against harming minor children when it comes to uh, sexual orientation, gender transition, gender dysphoria, et cetera, et cetera. I believe Alabama was one of the first states to sign a bill that makes it illegal for minors to have any sort of sex reassignment surgery or hormone replacement therapy. You know, the stuff that the left calls gender affirming care, 
that really is irreversible mutilation of children's bodies and sterilization. Yeah. Um, they've signed that. So now anybody in grade K through 12, you know, can't, it's not going to happen. If you're an adult and you go through counseling and you decide at age 35 that you were a man born in a woman's body or whatever, that's between you and God. But stop taking it out on your four-year-old and your five-year-old and your six-year-old. If you noticed that the only people who seem to have transgender children are these progressive guys, gals. I mean, you don't see someone like Franklin Graham saying, I have a transgender grandson. It's just, it doesn't happen. Jack Hibbs, it's not happening in his family. You know, Joyce Meyer, it's not happening in her family. But Lefty Strange on the left side, that, that, yeah, that's where it's happening. So Alabama already has protections on state law in the books that protect female athletes in the K through 12 realm. So in the high school sporting world, in the elementary and middle school sporting world, and it's really a shame that you have to say five-year-old kindergarten girls qualify as well. But now they've taken those same protections and extended them to the collegiate ranks. According to Christina Kiefer from Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF's comment is, women and girls deserve to compete on a level playing field. A college freshman losing a spot on a team to a male athlete is just as unfair and harmful as when it happens to a high school senior. That is why we must protect fairness in girls' sports in all grade levels. Alliance Defending Freedom represents collegiate athletes across the country who personally experienced disappointment and loss when men were permitted to compete in women's sports. Since the NCAA refuses to protect fairness for female athletes, it is imperative that states ensure women in college have the same equal athletic opportunities that they were afforded in high school. Alliance Defending Freedom commends Governor Kay Ivey, Representative Susan DeBose, and Senator April Weaver and the Alabama legislature for enacting HB 261 and extending protections for fairness in women's sports to collegiate competitors. Thanks to their leadership, women in Alabama colleges will not be subject subjected to the devastating losses to men that female athletes in other parts of the country are currently experiencing. Hats off to ADF. Great work again. And of course, this will be challenged by the quote-unquote progressive left. Uh, how dare you do this during Pride Month, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I have a final thought to share with you with regard to this and why it is so important for us to occupy this space in the culture and to do so with gentleness and respect. I'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Last call for the book we're giving away this hour, Steve Strang's book, uh, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. It's a great one. It'll help you make sense of this crazy world we're living in right now, looking at life through the lens of the Holy Spirit. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I was recently talking with an author about uh, some of the ways that we in the body of Christ can hear the voice of God more clearly. And one of the things she talked about was finding confirmation in community. And when I think of the transgender push right now, I realize that so much of it, you know, people have asked the question, I've had this conversation with many people in the scientific world, in the theological world. Why is it now, all of a sudden, in the last five years, 10 years? Is it something in the water? Is it something in processed foods? Is it chemicals and plastic? What is it that is causing so many people to identify as transgender? And it's interesting because the transgender side of the equation seems to be overtaking even the lesbian, gay, and bisexual part 
of the world. By the way, when you hear LGBTQ, blah, 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 the overwhelming majority of Americans who identify there identify in the B category, by the way. And that's people who have dated both men and women. And maybe they're still dating men and women because they're gender confused. They're not sure what they're attracted to. They don't have a moral code that says, hey, dating somebody and engaging in sexual romantic relationship feels good. It is good. God created it for good, but he created it in the context of one purpose, and that is husband and wife in marriage to enjoy it. That's it. Any, any sex outside of that, any conjugal relationship outside of that is sin. Full stop. It's really very simple. But how do we communicate that to a culture that thinks that sex is more important than love and that feelings are more important than facts because if you feel a certain way, the fact is that's the way you feel. May I encourage you to have conversations with people who are in these relationships? And I think of the words of uh, my colleague, Laura Perry Smaltz, uh, who spent many years living as a man after growing up as a woman, being born as a woman. And it was her mom and the Holy Spirit that loved her back into into health and into relationship. Sometimes in the body of Christ, we get angry with what the world is doing right now, say with the transgender issue. And that's because we look at this and say, hey, that's not the way God intended it. Well, you look back at Genesis, the Genesis account says, you know, in uh, male and female, he created them, meaning men and women. If you look at our chromosomal counts, though, women are XX, men are XY. So, yeah. Uh, as Elvis Costello once said, all the boys are really girls at heart. Well, that's, I mean, that's not to say that we're all transgender. But ask the question, for those who believe in gender fluidity, if your gender is fluid, why doesn't your body correspond in the same way? I mean, doesn't it make sense in the same way that the God who created the chrysalis to eventually cocoon and then become a butterfly if gender fluidity was of God among human beings, wouldn't it make sense that you could in fact change your gender naturally? Until we have an answer for that question, I think it's a question to keep asking. Oh yeah, we're talking surgery and all sorts of man-made solutions to this, but it doesn't solve the God issue, especially for people of faith who support this. I pray that we would prayerfully with gentleness and respect, continue to keep having the conversation with people who are experiencing this kind of dysphoria, this kind of confusion. God is a God of order, not of chaos. But remember, the first thing God created was chaos, out of which he then created order. The earth was formless and void. And God created the heavens and the earth, and you know how the story goes from there. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Rabbi Schneider's coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues.